it, men should have more of an intrinsic value beyond the paycheck they provide, mm-hmm. right? They should provide a paycheck. They should be uh, uh, masculinity, uh, a man who practices masculinity and, and lives up to a man's duties and responsibilities should provide stability to his family and his loved ones, right? That's a paycheck. That's whatever. Whatever stability means in your universe. Um, but in our society, a lot of like you're only like it, it's it feels like your only value is your paycheck is what you in in that's all you bring to the table is your ability to generate resources right now that's a big part of it but also men Pretty get humanizing. it's dehumanizing men get lost in that right not that my wife is like that or my life is like that at all but that's a that's a that's the thing all men carry i've got a friend i've got actually someone in my family who worked who once told me about someone he worked with who was so i don't know if you want to call it right wing or just libertarian basically what it is like poor libertarian um who was so that way whatever you want whatever you know just whatever label you want to ascribe to it that he would like he basically seemed to use, he was of the opinion that if he couldn't provide for his family, they should starve because he failed and they should starve instead of going on like assistance or something because that would take from someone else. So, well, that's fucked up. Yeah. But that's, like, that's the way we've talked about. It. This, this is the way some people think. I was listening to, your, to, to the podcast, I think actually from a couple, the one from a couple of weeks ago, where you were talking about how you want to do, you were doing something, you were recording something, dealing like you're trying, trying to explain the way poor white people think, um, or like yeah. people, white people in poverty think, so that people who aren't in that situation can understand it. And that's part of what it is. Is it, it's a type of brainwashing literally makes you think, oh, I not only am in this shitty situation, I've earned this shitty situation and I don't want help because that would make me weaker. It would, just, it would, it would, it would, it would take my dignity in addition to my paycheck or something and, along those lines. And, and to build off of that, um, it's a scarcity mindset. Mm-hmm. And it's, not sum, it's, it's thinking everything is a zero-sum game someone else has to lose for you to win or you have to lose for someone else to win for example i don't want to fucking cast stones at anybody um let's say i believe one way right and i live in a really scarce mindset mm-hmm. i believe one thing in one way and if there's a scarcity mindset there's only enough room for one way of living mm-hmm. right and if you, Nick, like, if my way of living is, I don't like to wear socks, but you like to wear socks, and there's only enough room for one of us, and if you wear socks, well, then fuck, I got to wear socks too, right? And, you know, when you realize, oh, you could both do what you want, like, <coughs> you wearing you wearing socks does not negate me not wearing socks and vice versa. Mm-hmm. and so but the people that there's people that don't want to wear socks who when people are allowed to wear socks that they'll threaten they think oh well i have to wear socks now when you want to say no dude nobody is going to make you wear socks like <laughs> you're good just 
just just they want to wear socks and that's cool and you don't want to wear socks also cool and everyone pays their taxes and we're good right yeah. we all drive on the same roads you know basically and, and and yeah and that's the thing i've been kind of workshopping in my brain for a long time and i mm -hmm. never i didn't actually i didn't actually finish that recording i made hmm. uh you should i well i kept screaming into the phone so <laughs> i kept it kept it i was mining that fucking vein for truth and i just i mined too deep and i'm like ah! and uh, so really, I thought, oh, well, I kind of explained all of it to Nick on that episode. So that's going to be the recording. Like, yeah. that's going to be me expressing that idea in that way. And that otherwise, it's I get so wrapped up and I'm just like screaming into the phone. And I'm like, well, that's not, not audio is not even usable, is it? <laughs> um, but no, I I like being able to also to take kind of that experience because i know what like a shitty rundown place looks like so i can write you up pretty well i like to think i can add nice flares to it right this isn't to say you don't but i think part of what i again what i do with europa goodbye and everything we work on together is i take stuff out and i add stuff where i think is necessary and i love that you're taking like if i add a hundred words you'll you'll keep 50 words right mm -hmm. and you'll kind of like make that sound more like what you do oh oh it's the most delicious one i had a question for you yes um did we talk about that phone call we had where you called to ask about wanting to change the lore oh i don't know i don't think we talked about it on the podcast so we'll pretend we didn't and Oh, are you so, talking about the medic thing? No. Oh. Uh, the time. The what? Years. You wanted to change all the years, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think I, now I remember. This leads me to a, a much deeper train of thought. I think I talked to you a little bit about it off mic. Um, we. So you've been working on the Space for Saga for about 20 years. Mm -hmm. And you change the lore a lot, right? This isn't a criticism, this is an observation. Yeah. And uh, at least a couple of times since I've known you. And we had this really kind of special moment for me, it was at least, where, you know, I was on a walk and you called me and you said, hey man, I'm thinking about changing the lore, right? And I was like, go on. And I had had like a really bad day, nothing to do with you, but I was just like those days where you feel like you're, you're in a ring and you hit a bunch of times in the face, right? Metaphorically speaking. Yeah. And, and so you call me and I was trying to, I was, I wasn't in a good mood, but it wasn't your fault. So I was trying to like, not be a dick, you know, <laughs> you're like, you hate everything, but your best friend calls you and you're like, don't be a piece of shit about it. And so then you call and you say, hey, I'm thinking about changing these years to this. And I'm like, well, why? And you're like, oh, well, if you look at it, if you zoom out to 30,000 feet, it looks like this and these things here and all this changes. And I'm like, well, does that affect the day-to-day -day life of Janet and Shadowplay or Darius and Europa Goodbye? And you're like, well, it does, but 
at this big level and, and all this stuff. And then I said, why do you want to change it? And, and then I realized, oh, this was his kind of safe spot. This was a security blanket for you since you were a little kid. This is the this is a universe you've been developing, right? And I got to imagine when life got hard, this is where you went. You know, when when when, you know, when when, because you you've talked a few times about how, uh, school was hard for you because you were different than everybody, and you probably didn't know why, or you probably didn't. At the, I don't even know if society really understood autism at that level when you were a kid. It still doesn't to a certain extent, but yeah. I sure. barely do and I talk to you all the time. And, and I mean, it's more, it, there's more than that to it. Um, it's not just like school. It's also family stuff that I won't necessarily get into for the sake of our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like to say like, I, I had it pretty good as a kid, you know? I'm not trying to like poo-poo on you by any means, but like, when I hang out with you and some of our like our other mutual friends, I'm like, holy shit, I got lucky as a kid. But <laughs> everything is relative. You know, when you're living with it, when you're living most of your life with a guy whose basic response to everything is to shout and yell, and you get like traumatized because of that, that has an effect on your development as an adult and as a human. When you um, when your parents divorce when you're two years old and your mom leaves. And, you know, doesn't come back for a couple of years and you're kind of like, you know, and you're at this very formative age where it's like, well, my mom has been taken away from me. She left me, you know, I, I don't, it, it's, it's one of those things, you know, where knowing her nowadays and knowing how well I get along with her and how often I talk to her. I just, I, in fact, I need to call her when I'm done here because I, I wasn't able to earlier, but um, anyway, you know, it's, it's not her fault. That was a, that was a falling out between her and my dad. It's their business. It's their, it's, you know, they, they've, they've come to terms with it. They're, they're on good terms now. They actually get along. They're amicable. You know, my dad has done all sorts of errands to help my mom over the years and help me um, mutually. But the thing is, it has an effect on a kid, you know, that sort of thing. Now, having a stepfather who's as demanding as mine was, and is always trying to push me to be better. It's like, yeah, I get what you're trying to do by making me, by trying to push me to be better, but you're also sort of pushing me away because instead of just accepting me for as I am, you're telling me that I'm not good enough. So all of these things, you know, I, I had, I've got, I've got some issues, you know, there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or what's about it. So what you're, so yeah, what you're saying about how this, this universe has been sort of like my one constant is, is pretty much true because I like what I told you, I think, I think it was that day we had that conversation. If I remember correctly, I was standing in my, the front driveway at my aunt and uncle's house here in Maryland, and you were on a walk. And as you said, and I was just sort of pacing around, and I was thinking, and we talked about how, oh yeah, this or you know this 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 universe was like my imaginary world when I was a kid. You know, some kids have imaginary friends. I had an imaginary world, and when other kids were like playing tag on the playground i was imagining like movies in my head and um i just sort of kept with it for you know from the time i was like 10 years old to now so yeah it's so you know back to what you're saying go ahead it's it's your uh, uh not only is it your it's your imaginary friends it's your imaginary world it's a place that you can control uh 
in a life that is sometimes sounds like you felt like you you didn't have much control at times and so you built this universe as a way to kind of find the control that you never really felt you had or like it's a safe space that you know you you know you control it and stuff and 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 you know, if you want me to stop swimming in your belly button, let me know. <laughs> You're good, dude. We swim in your um, belly button so much. I need to have mine wetted a little bit. It's, you know, it, it's, uh, it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, but that's a sentence you never thought you'd say out loud. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But you know, I've, said, I've said weirder things and I've thought weirder things. So <laughs> that's fair enough, sir. Um, and so it must, it must be interesting, probably difficult on a couple of levels, because that was always a spot that always fungible whenever you, it was in a place you could exercise creativity. And now working with me, uh, again, the first time I, I didn't, again, I wasn't, now I'm, now I'm a gran, hippie granola Derwin. And before I was, you know, angry like Iraq war veteran Derwin. And those are two very different Derwins. <laughs> like one of them yelled a lot more. Um, but I didn't I didn't have the emotional intelligence back then to kind of see why you were so protective of everything. Right. And and so I understand, you know, a lot of what happened there now mm -hmm. uh, a lot better and uh, which is interesting which is which is where which is very you know it, it's a very sort of you know full circle thing because i'm in a better place where i can share this sort of stuff now you understand where i was coming from but i also understand now where you're coming from wanting to collaborate and share the lore and we both meet in the middle like you said before it's kind of you know we've kind of come full circle and I got to wonder if it's because it, it, it's almost like settling down a bit, or maybe it's in a bit of a, a, a walk or saying goodbye to some imaginary friends where I'm like, hey, we kind of have to like find a story and stick to it, right? Yeah. You can do whatever you want as long as it's like a consistent timeline, mm -hmm. like, or as consistent as like, say, Star Trek is. Well, for the sake of our listeners, the main bit of lore that I wanted to change um, was I wanted to shave a century off of the Space or Saga universe. And I ended up not doing that because well, for, I'll, start, I'll sort of start from the beginning. I'll, I'll tell the whole story because, you know, again, we've, that's what we're here for. Um, basically, the you know, the Space or Saga is, uh, is, an alternate, is an alternate history in addition to being a future history. It starts in 1989 when asteroid hits Earth instead of not hitting Earth, which is what happened in the real world. Um, asteroid hits Phoenix, Arizona, vaporizes it, you know, world changes, so on and so forth. Um, this is March of 1989. The main, what I call the main story, the story that we, I think, mentioned last time, which is the one involving the main characters that you haven't met yet, the main characters that are basically my original imaginary friends. Um, is set in 2389. And the reason I chose that year, that year is because it's 400 years after um, 
the Phoenix event. It's a good like it's a good milestone. It's like oh we're we're jumping four hundred years forward in history. Um, and it's like when we celebrated the five hundred years of Columbus discovering North America in nineteen ninety two. Yes, exactly, something like that. Um, discovering North America, you know, of course. Well, in air quotes, everything, it's shorthand. Yes, <laughs> no, I get it. I just i i can't i can't. I can't let that. I can't let that go by me without, without sniping at it. I'm not saying the I'm 90, not even sniping at you. I'm sniping at Columbus because he deserved it. The '90s were a different time. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, the linking up of the old world and the new world didn't really happen in, in major part in, in major form until after 1492. Now, whether or not that was a good thing can be debated, but it did happen after that. Um, the well, I mean, I and it, it changed the world. So that's the that's the important part. I'm glad it did because my house is here in the new world. Mm -hmm. uh, I would have rather than not have been the genocides. That would have yeah. been nice. Um, but anyway, so I like. So with this main story of yours that I haven't read, do you have like novels written that I don't know about? No, nothing finished. The only ones I have finished are Spacers, which we obviously sort of shelved because it's no longer consistent, barring mm -hmm. some like alternate realities, you know, hand waving that we want to bring into the story later on. Um, Shadow Play, which is the first novel I ever finished. Um, I wrote that, but again, I think that the story that's probably been shared here before, but I wrote that between October of 2017 and March of 2018. After I saw Blade Runner 2049, it was kind of my response to Blade Runner 2049. I wrote it. I wrote it during five of the last months of my uh, undergraduate career, which was fun because I was also I started writing another novel right after, and I was basically writing these novels in the computer labs of IUPUI. Um, but anyway, I've got that one, and then I've got um, shit. I think that's about it. Everything else is still in, is still only partials. Like I've got, I've got about eight chapters written of alphas. I've got about eight chapters written. There's sensing a pattern here, I'm sure. I've got about eight chapters written of a story, eight or nine maybe chapters of a story written of a, written of a story called the Titan Gambit, which is the first installment in the Frontier Wars, you know, um, saga, which is like the which is again which is this is this is what I keep calling the main story, the Spacer Saga Frontier. It's the story of three guys named Devin, Matt, and Sam, who are best friends from the capital of Mars. They are reservists in the Spacer Corps when, this, when the Frontier Wars kick off again, and they go on. They they you know they they go off to fight, and you know the story ensues from there. Um, there's you know, that's been partially written, and there's a whole bunch of other things. There's like little little piddling parts here and there that I started to write, and I was like I got bored, or I decided I wanted to write something else, or both. And a lot of these okay. things. A lot of these things just are, are begging to be finished someday. And I've got them either on my Google Docs or I've got them on my portable hard drive. And, um, you know, there's the you rub. Should, I, just need, I just need to get around to writing them all. You should send them to my Developed by Zero Books Gmail. Yeah. Just like, just, just to have, just so like, let's say you step off a curb and get hit by a bus tomorrow. Yeah. That way I can finish them. I'll tell you what I can um, do. I will, because I'm trying to, in fact, we'll, we'll go ahead and keep talking. I'm going to open up my, uh, um, 
portable hard drive and see how much space these things take up. Because if they don't, depending on how much space they take up, I can just post the whole thing on Google Docs. And um, there you go. Yeah, the whole thing only takes up like one, one and a half gigabytes. There you go. I so, love it. Um, and we'll do, we'll go through and knock these out one at a time. Yeah. Like, because well, that's the thing. That's, we'll go short stories. We'll cannibalize yeah. them. I like, mean, that's, that's the beauty of it. There's, the sky is the limit with these stories because we've got, we, there's, and like I said, I'm the type of writer who every so often, maybe once every month or two at most, um, I'll get a new idea come to me in a dream. Yeah. I'm not kidding. Like I'll have a dream that's so vivid that I wake up like, oh, I got to write that down because it makes for a good story. You know, I've got a story that I want to write that, that came to me in a dream and it was so moving that when I woke up, I was crying. That's beautiful, man. What's the yeah. story? It's a story. I don't remember what I called it, but it's a story about two guys from Titan. It's as at least as, as the lore goes now, it's two guys from Titan. One of them was a son, one of them is like a rich scion, you know, and the other one is like a poor kid from the wrong side of the tracks. And somehow they became best friends. Like maybe the poor kid saved the rich kid when they were out, when he was out, like, you know, he ran away from home and he was like about to beat up by some bullies because he was rich. So the poor kid saved him and they became best friends. They started hanging out. Then war comes to Titan and they both. You know, like the rich kid defies his family and joins, uh, you know, the local militia to sort of to help fight the Draconis threat. Um, and the other, and, and they, they sort of, they sort of go, they sort of, you know, stick together. They sort of protect each other. And they both, and one of the, one of the things that comes straight out of this dream is they both love the same woman. They're both in love with the same girl who loves them both, but doesn't really love either one of them, if that makes any sense. Um, she's really not, she, she doesn't love either one of them that much enough, 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 enough to enough to be with them that is and uh, through the course of all the violence that ensues on titan and all the civil war and everything she dies and that kind of drives a wedge between them and eventually mm -hmm. the poor character um i can't remember what happened in the dream because it's, it's, it's it goes one way or the other one of the characters either the poor character or the rich character um, goes career in the military and basically like trying to fight through the conus or like trying to restore order to Titan, which is something we could workshop if we ever write it. So in one, depending on which way it goes, it would make more sense. The other character leaves the military and basically becomes a resistance fighter, trying to like you know, help people without being part of the establishment. And later on in life, after they had a wedge driven between them, even though they were like brothers for a long time, they meet up and they basically get into an argument that turns into a fist fight. And after they after they leave, some old guy who maybe knew them before, someone's like, why well, tells the one guy who's still standing there in the restaurant, like where his friend came to visit him. He tells him, are you going to go? Are you going to go stop him and apologize? And he says, well, why should I? So I can tell your brother you should you should get over this or something like that. It's, it's one of those things where it makes you cry when you, it makes you cry in your sleep because it, it as and in, as in, when you're unconscious it seems so emotional. It's not really that emotional after the fact, but we could probably make it emotional if we wrote it right. I so want to do that. I love that. I love that. I love the idea of 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 of. Humans being humans. Yeah, humans being humans, people falling apart, people remembering how much they love someone 
and so furious because the other person doesn't love him back or 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 the love is broken or the family's broken or whatever like that sort of deep aching pain oh fuck i understand that shit like um and i understand how to tie it into the larger lore it's that's why we work together so you understand it because you just threw the story at me, right? So don't ever sell yourself short. No, I'm not, not, I'm not saying I get, trust me, even as an art, even as a selfish, is it like a proud autistic man? I get human emotion. I just don't always <laughs> subscribe to it. I, <laughs> I love it. Like as an autistic man, I understand human emotions, right? Says the robot. <laughs> How do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> Basically, that's funny. Oh man, no, but seriously, I teach you sometimes. You you do understand human emotions. Yeah, and stuff. I mean, I it's it's sometimes foreign to me, but I think that's if anything, the thing that makes it. And this is again kind of a non sequitur. The thing that makes autism, my form of autism, or the autism the way it presents for me, so infuriating is that I have like I can sort of like stand at the window and look in at people having regular emotions and I'm like I can I can I can interpret I can look read their lips but I can't quite fucking hear what they're saying. That's kind of how it yeah. is. That makes sense. Um yeah I and that's one of the things that always kind of fascinated me about you was like oh you see the world so so differently and and after I realized you're autistic in class, or you told me, or both, one of the two, whatever, I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. <laughs> like, I remember that conversation. Yeah. You know, you got people throwing internships at you and like job offers and, or opportunities, if not offers. As you gain more success in life, women will find that more attractive. You know, I'm not trying to sound like some fucking alpha male incel or something. But I know when I was a broke-ass loser, I wasn't getting any dates. Not to say you're a broke-ass loser, but with my own experience, when I stopped being a broke-ass loser, I found a woman who is far above my station. And she was like, yeah, you can marry me. I'm like, oh, yes, I did it. And now I can rest on my laurels. Now you just get to coast. No, I just get to the coach. No, no, it's a constant. Like <laughs> I'm always running at 100 miles an hour. No, that's um, I know. I mean, I mean, like you don't have to like. Wait, I guess that's a good point. You don't. You're not really coasting, even as far as like a relationship, because you're always trying to like continually court focus. that person. It and it changes. It 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 you and you change. And I've been with Meg for five, six, seven years, something like that. It's it mm -hmm. fucking uh, the longest single person I've ever been in relationship with ever and it's because like you said you know I'm I'm hippie granola Derwin now she met me when I was angry Iraq war vet Derwin <laughs> and oh the change she's seen and you know she's changed too and and as the things that you need from me the thing a lot of the early dating is it's exciting and it's fun and it's sexy and it's flirty and all that. And that's great. And, but a lot of it is your auditioning. You're like, Hey, this is who I am. And this is what I'm like. And what do you think? And what are you like? And what are, what are you really like? And, and this is what I'm really like. And if I show you what I'm really like, are you going to be cool? And 
if you show me what you're really like and you know am i gonna be scared and you know and, and there's this weird dance because kind of the question you're asking the other person is uh you know are you gonna be my ride or die or what yeah you know and, and like as a husband as a man and stuff and the other shows about this a lot um i'm constantly trying to evolve and and, and trying to find to to be a more a more combat effective husband i guess yeah. it's a way like to because if you're a combat effective husband to me that means that you have such a high level of emotional intelligence that your head is just just screwed on real tight and and if you have a bad day like like i was telling you earlier i was feeling isolated because i was working from home today and when you're feeling isolated your first thought is oh i should run toward my tribe yeah but then with that gear in my head i was like oh well my tribe's broken i don't talk to them and so You've got this like rocket fuel that's telling you to run toward your tribe, but you know your tribe is dangerous. So it's kind of a weird feedback loop. Yep. But, but yeah, <laughs> being married is pretty awesome, though. Mm -hmm. And fuck, I could talk about this all day. Yeah. But it's just somebody that gets you and wants to get you and knows all of your shit. And they know, you know, you know all of theirs. But, you can keep probably what would what will be one day 15 finished fully published novels straight in your head at the same time with a different cast of characters and all that supposedly um, yeah like you get what i'm saying like you can yeah. zoom out and see a whole solar system and all the intricate histories of it for thousands if not billions of years in your head and but like you said how with human emotions sometimes you're the you know you're the homeless boy looking in at the family having christmas dinner yeah you know and so sometimes in your writing and it's not to say that any of your characters are bad or anything they're not but i can tell where your focus is you know mm -hmm. and i can tell what you're interested in now me then that's probably what working with me works out really well because i'm not really the the zoom out guy like that right i i'm not even if i was i would have done that by now i work better kind of when i drop into other people's sandboxes and 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 work in their worlds and say hey because like i my partnership with you was very similar to the one i had on the thin line of life where i'm like hey this is what i'm thinking does it fit with what you had in mind yeah basically just you know collaborating back and forth trying to turn one person's idea into two people's success exactly. and, and that didn't really even sound right to say because it's like it's not really you like parasitizing someone you're bringing things to the table that's the thing if someone yeah. there's a difference between like parasitizing someone else's success and creativity and adding your own creativity to that mix some people you know again you you obviously have creativity that they can they can work on its own but I think what you just said about how you're you're happy that you seem to be happiest when you have someone else you can like make who can take the first step, you know, can put the first stuff on paper and then then you can start playing with it. 
I have more fun rewriting your first draft of something. I well, maybe not more fun. I have a lot of fun rewriting your first draft of something. I haven't really written a whole lot of original material on my own for a couple of years because I've been so busy trying to build the podcast and build the business and build divided by zero books and all that. But I have the most fun, the most creative fulfillment I get is condensing your book and adding in corners and like finding ways to like, you know, because like to go into the analogy, I've got a seat at the Christmas table for the human emotions. Some days it's fucking overwhelming. They're so strong. It's so I can kind of take that and, 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 you know, pencil that in with some life experience. Also too, man, something that's really fucking cool about what you do is you're you're kind of having like your first major like adventure from home right now right yeah so everything else you've created like you know in terms of spacers and stuff has been just you imagining things based off other stories you've read right Mm -hmm. but now you're getting to because epitaph I could see where you're like, oh, it's a young scientist talking to an older scientist. And I'm like, oh, well, this is what he's doing now. He just took these experiences and put them in a story. And now you get to, you're living life. You're not reading about life anymore. You're fucking living it, dude. And 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 that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. And, you know, I, one of the reasons I'm, can bring a lot of like color to the to the books you write is because I've lived a lot of life. <laughs> I've I've lived so much fucking life sometimes. Like, the candle that burns twice as bright burns half as long. You have burned so very, of, very brightly, dear one. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I I was hanging out with the uh, with my marine buddy Tom, and he's like, yeah. Derwin, you know, you're probably physically somewhere in your 50s. I'm somewhere in my mid-70s. I'm like, well, fuck. <laughs> Just turned 36. He's like, that doesn't matter. <laughs> but um, when you live a lot of, because I remember being a teenager living at home, thinking, oh, I can't wait to enlist in the army so I can have something to say. So I can live life and have experiences to write down and be a writer that way. Mm-hmm. And 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 honestly i like not having the responsibility of having to keep lore at 30,000 feet all straight because sometimes i get shit mixed up sometimes i forget i'm not that's a lot of details i'm not a 30,000 foot guy right not with writing other things i am but not with writing um and I think real quick, we should make it, I, at least I want you, you can refute this if you wish, that's your right. Yeah. I want to make a disclaimer that if you're, if one of our dear listeners is thinking of enlisting in the military for the sake of having things to write about, your results may vary. <laughs> I mean, it kind of worked out for me. <laughs> and yes, you know, there was years of therapy involved and you know, but I mean, I survived the pandemic. Anybody who survived the pandemic went to therapy. It's fine. Um, 
stupid. Uh, uh, no, it was, you know, I was a fucking poor kid in the trailer park. And then I was, I mean, okay. I, I say trailer park is shorthand, right? Um, I live, I only really lived in a trailer park for maybe four or five years. Um, and honestly, the trailer park was probably one of the more stable places we lived. Yeah. And so I just got to tell people, oh, trailer park, because if I say, oh, I was a poor kid from the trailer park, that little shorthand, people understand, there's a lot packed into that little sentence. But, you know, I'd always tell people all the expanded versions of things. But no, it's, it, the military is really good uh, if you need like structure and guidance and, you know, or, or really just a start in life. And sometimes, yeah, it, you need, you need something to say or you want because everything I was writing just kind of felt like I was bastardizing Lord of the Rings you know I've, I've told you this haven't I basically when I started writing and I wasn't even writing I was basically just making things up and like imagining scenarios like like some like you know some like lonely people do except in this case i was i was like using my imagination to create like movie scenes in my head when i started creating the spacer saga or wasn't even called the spacer saga didn't really have a name i just called it my stuff or something like that my my my, my thinking um uh, almost 20 years ago now it'd be 20 years ago 20 years ago next year probably um i had just watched the lord of the rings movies i had just watched star wars attack of the clones and I had just watched, um, you know, things like Alien and Aliens and Predator and uh, Jurassic Park. And I had all these things sort of bouncing around in my head. And I was like, ooh, I want to take all of these ideas and sort of lump them together and make something that is mine. And that's mm -hmm. kind of how it started. I mean, Space Saga basically started off as a combination of Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. That's kind of how it started. I... I knew we watched the same things growing up. So let me ask you this, sir. Go back in time 20 years. Yeah. Tell that little kid that not only are you working with an independent publisher on the Spacer Saga, but also you're working professionally with NASA and you're going to school at a prestigious university. How do you think that kid is going to react? He'd probably look at me skeptically. Um, he'd probably say, "I don't think so." Yeah. And the reason I say that is because there's a there's a there's a in, there's an inside joke that my aunt actually reminded me of the aunt that I'm staying with. Um, for the sake of our listeners, I will explain this inside joke. In my family, my mom has two brothers. The brother that I'm staying with now for the for the summer internship program is a bit of a jokester. He likes to be, he likes to tell sarcastic jokes and make puns and things like that. And he's always been that way. And when I was a little kid, he wanted to try to tell me something. And he was telling me some white lie, trying to like, you know, trying to like pull my chain and, and, and see how I responded. And my aunt says, I looked at him with this kind of skeptical look on my face and said, I don't think so, Uncle Mark. And that's become like a running joke in their family. Like, even though I've long since forgot about it, they still tell each other that year, like to this day as sort of an end joke, because it just, it stuck with them. And that's probably what I would tell myself or tell the like future me, if I came out of a time walk, I'd be like, you look kind of, you look kind of fat and weird. What you, I don't believe you. <laughs> 
you're fat and hairy. Why should I believe you? <laughs> I um, I know what you mean. If I go back in time, twenty years, I could be sixteen. Uh, to say, hey man, this is what happens. I would, I honestly would be scared to, to, to tell myself just how well everything works out because there were several points in my timeline where if I wasn't desperate to the point of like, just, just fucking desperate, like, like you will, it, it, when you're desperate and, and, and on the verge of complete failure, and and you're doing everything you can not to succeed but just to keep from failing yep and uh oh boy you'll try really hard you know <laughs> you will you either sink or you swim and fuck man i was swimming dude and there's a little part of me that's like you know i don't want to tell him that it's going to work out because what if he says well future me told me it worked out so why am i fucking worrying so hard in my head i'm like because if i didn't try that hard i didn't swim that hard you know i uh it probably wouldn't have worked out so but if you take that off the table you go back in time and say hey i'm you kind of do everything you want to do that's a pretty good feeling if you think about it sir yep and i get the feeling you you are doing everything you want to do So that's kind of cool. Um, yeah. And I think we can end there and we'll talk a little bit afterward. Yep. Uh, for the Blank Fortress Solitude, I am Derwin. And I am Nick. And we will see you next Monday morning at 0700. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read?